You're listening to the weekly podcast of Liberty Baptist Church in Bristol, Connecticut. We pray you enjoy today's message. Looking to try to split our junior church, kindergarten, I'm sorry, three years old to kindergarten and then uh, first through third grade. And so, hi, sweetheart. If you're interested in leading that, you are not helping me in my marketing right now. <laughs> They're really well behaved. Anyways, uh, but if you'd like to help with that or lead a junior church, we'd love to talk with you. Grab that black net step card in the back of the chair, fill that out, turn it in, we'll be in touch. But we, we're about, what, three or four leaders and helpers away from being able to split that, and so we could really use some assistance there to make sure they get a great lesson at their level, they have fun, and learn about Jesus. And so, Well, I haven't said it yet, so let me say it publicly. Happy Mother's Day. Don't say it to me. See? You could say it to Susie. All right, but I hope you all enjoy your Mother's Day today. My wife is enjoying her Mother's Day tradition, steak. I love this. I'm so thankful for her. She said, what do you want for Mother's Day? Steak. Oh, great, I can do that. It's marinating right now. We're going to go home and grill that, and I hope whatever you've done for Mother's Day, or if you forgot, you're going to do for Mother's Day is enjoyable for you, and you guys have a great time. Well, today we're going to be looking at something uh, I think is inherent to being a mother and why it's so important to us as Christians. Oftentimes you'll hear the phrase uh, speaking about a mother's love. A mother's love is something very special. It's something that us as guys, it's hard for us to understand. We have a mother, we can understand how it feels, but to know what it is to give your love as a mother is not something I as a man can comprehend. Where does that come from? Where, do we, where does a mother find that type of love? I believe it's from the same place that God shows us that type of love. We're going to be looking at a word in Scripture today and understanding our moms, but more importantly, God, a little more by understanding what His compassion looks like. Compassion is a word you can hear thrown around many times, but today I'm going to take you through a very brief word study on the Hebrew word for compassion, and then I want to talk to you about God's compassion and the impact that it should have on us. Compassion is defined as a sympathetic consciousness of others' distress together with the desire to alleviate it. Compassion and empathy are very similar. Empathy is the ability to feel another person's emotion or pain or anger or whatever it is that they're going through. But compassion, I think we can summarize it, empathy with action. Compassion is what leads to action. It's why we have shirts and, and, and different things out there that say mama bear. It's not just some cutesy thing. Like, have you ever messed with a mother's children? They get upset. I was in youth ministry, and uh, I, I learned very quickly, there's some things you can't do in youth ministry. You can't let a kid get hit in the head with a PVC pipe and not tell his mom. Because <laughs> his mom cares that he got hit in the head with a PVC pipe, even though he didn't pass out and he was perfectly fine. He drank some water and was good. But let me tell you, mom cared that he got hit in the head with a PVC pipe. And guess who did not tell her about it? The youth guy. Where does that type of care and love come from? 
I believe it's, it's their compassion. But what is compassion and why is it so, related, why is it so uh, inherent to women? Well, I think this is very interesting. As I studied this week, I saw in Scripture the connection between the Hebrew words compassion and womb. I want you to look at me first at the word that we're going to put on the screen here. Now, I have never taken a class in Hebrew. So I pronounce it about as good as I do English. And so uh, bear with me. But let's get that first word up on the screen, Eli. The Hebrew word for compassion, if any of y'all speak Hebrew, forgive me for what I'm about to do. All right? Rakamim. Huh? Close? Rakamim. And it does mean what I, what I just told you a moment ago, sympathizing but with action, right? Now let's look at the root word for compassion. A lot of words, words in Hebrew have root words. These are three letters of the Hebrew alphabet that make up the root for the word that you have. The root word is that. Not even trying. Reshet meme. There you go. Not meme like you're scrolling meme, but... Reshet mean, okay? That's the root word for compassion. So if you understand anything about linguistics, you know much more than I do about this, but let me try. At the root of the word compassion is this, this phrase here, reshet mean, okay? And in it, it carries with it the ideas of loving kindness and of uh, care and concern and a, a deep bond, okay? Now, this is what I thought was really awesome. Go to the next word, please. The Hebrew word for womb is rakim. The Hebrew word for womb, womb with a W, womb, has the same root word as compassion. See, guys, why, why we can never understand, the reason we can never understand the love of a mother because we don't know what it's like to love them in the womb. You see, for, for a, a, a mother, your love started the day you found out you were pregnant. For dads, now listen, y'all, some of y'all might be better than I am. I've loved him ever since I found out. You liked the idea of your child at that point, okay? And then they came out and you had to discover if you're actually going to love the thing that's keeping you awake at night, all right? <laughs> You see, we, we, men, for me, develop a relationship with our child. Yes, we inherently love them, but, but moms, you, you are compassionately in love with your child from the day you find out you're pregnant. And dads, let's be honest, that doesn't come as naturally to us. And there's a reason for it. Well, what is it about a mother's compassion and God's compassion? And why is it so important to understand God's compassion. Because the more we understand about God, the better we can know Him. Just like the more you understand about your spouse or when you were dating or even now that you're married, the, the more you know them. So we don't learn facts just to repeat them. We learn facts so that we may understand a person more. So we go into Scripture here and I want us to see God's compassion. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 34. And we're going to start in verse 5. In Exodus 34, 5, we have Moses going back up to Mount Sinai. Now, the reason he had to go back up to Mount Sinai was because he had already gotten the Ten Commandments. You're very familiar with those. And if you're not, 
Now you can be. He got up there. God gave him the Ten Commandments. He walked back down. Israel was being stupid, and he broke the tablets in a fit of rage. Now he's going back up to Mount Sinai to commune with God. And let's see what happens when he gets back up there. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed by before him, him being Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children unto the third and to the fourth generation. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. Now at this point in Moses' life, he has seen God move in ways most hadn't. Moses' first interaction with the Lord was at the burning bush. He's, uh, he's in the desert at night. There's this bush that catches on fire but isn't actually burning. And God speaks to him through that and calls him to go into Egypt and take his people out of there. He's been to Egypt and in fighting with Pharaoh, he's went and talked to him and he said, let my people go. And then Pharaoh decided to say no a few times. And from that, we have what's known as the ten plagues. Frogs, boils, blood, death of the firstborn child. So at this point in Moses' life, he has seen those things happen. Oh, and the big one. As they were escaping Egypt, God parted the Red Sea for them to cross on dry land, consuming the enemy behind him. So that's where Moses is right now as God has passed in front of him and made these statements. God has already given him the Ten Commandments, and now that he's come back up, he doesn't give him things to do he actually describes himself. And he says, I am Jehovah God. Jehovah being the Hebrew name for God. And he says, I am Jehovah God. And then the next word he uses to describe himself is a word we, we learned earlier. Uh, I might have pronounced it wrong. Uh, Rakum, which is translated in the KJV as merciful, but could be better translated as the word Passionate. I'm sorry, not passionate, compassionate. Compassionate. It can be translated compassionate. So he's established who he is. I am Jehovah God. I am compassionate. Now see, when he uh, gives the Ten Commandments, he tells them you need to do this, you need to do this, you need to do that. But in this statement, he's not making any type of um, direction for the Israelites. He's just talking about himself. And in saying he's compassionate, he goes on to describe his compassion by saying he's patient, he's good, he's truthful, he's forgiving, and he's just. But notice again, he did not say, if you do, I will be compassionate. He said, I am Jehovah God and I am compassionate. The compassion of our Heavenly Father, I believe, is the compassion that we can, we can understand His compassion because of the compassion we see from a mother on earth. 
When children become prodigals and go away and make bad decisions, you often don't hear someone say, you're going to break your father's heart. What do they say? You're going to break your mother's heart. Why? Because she has loved you with a compassionate love like no other. A love that can only come from God. You know, you, you see these crime shows and different things of that nature. And re, what was it, a couple years ago, the big one, Making of a Murderer or something like that. Or, uh, and you see these people that commit these heinous crimes that we from the outside looking in are going like, this evil individual, how could they do this to this person, to this child, to these things? But how does their mother respond? The mother of a murderer still loves them like their baby. Because a mother's love knows no bounds. And neither does our Heavenly Father's. Mothers can love and care even when it doesn't make sense for them to. I don't know about you, but I've done enough against God, it would be perfectly fine for Him to look at me and say, yeah, I'm done. But my God didn't say He's compassionate if I'm good. He said He is compassionate. And what did Moses do after hearing about this compassion of his heavenly father? Verses 8 through 9, just to repeat them to you, he says, Moses made haste. He quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped and said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. What did he just do? God said, I am Jehovah God, I am compassionate. Here's the description of my compassion. And then what was Moses' response? I surrender myself and my people to you. Do you accept us? Because of the greatness of God, because of the compassion of the Heavenly Father, Moses understood it is better to live in service to Him than away from Him at all. You see, God's unconditional compassion should produce an unconditional surrender. The reason that we look upon people and say you're going to break your mother's heart is because the actions that are typically being taken don't make sense because of the love the mother has had for the child. If someone has loved you with this deep compassion, how can you hurt them the way that you do? If someone has cared for you, regardless of your actions and how you've treated them, how could you continue to hurt them in some way? It doesn't make sense. It's because that type of compassionate, unconditional love is from the Heavenly Father. And it's to us. And he, all we have to do is surrender to it. Why? Because that makes sense. It would be easy for you to turn away from a person who has treated you with conditional love. But when you are faced with the compassionate love of the Heavenly Father, the only response that makes sense is unconditional surrender. How can you know God's compassion? You can see it. He talks about this in the next few verses. Look with me at verses 10 through 11. God, again speaking, 
And he said, Behold, I make a covenant. Before all thy people I will do marvels, such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord. For it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I drive out before thee the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite. What did we just read? We just read a covenant that was made. He's going and he's telling them, do these things and I will take care of them. He confirms it in verse 27, a little further down. He says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Write thou these words, for after the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with thee in Israel. His compassion is not dependent upon that covenant. But he told the people, Because I have compassion towards you, I will make a covenant with you. See, the first covenant, that, that well... The Abrahamic covenant is the one that says the nation of Israel will be God's people. The descendants of Abraham will be God's people. And he makes that an unconditional covenant. But he goes here, and this one has some conditions attached to it, but it doesn't speak against his unconditional love at all. For did God have to make any covenant with his people? Does, does mom have to look at you and say, like, well, if you clean your room, I'll give you ten bucks. Or if you don't clean your room, I'll ground you. Or could she just look at you and say, you're grounded. Ha <laughs> ha! No, that's what us dads do. Right? We walk in like, yeah, I'm tired of this, you're done. You see, making a covenant with a people doesn't undermine the unconditional love of God. When we ask the question, did he, ever, did he have to make a covenant in the first place? Because he was unconditionally compassionate, he made a covenant with his people. He made it with Moses. And he's made it with us. You see, because of God's compassion, he did something. You know, we're, we're called to be a compassionate people. As believers, as followers of Jesus, we're supposed to be compassionate. Even when someone doesn't know Jesus as their Savior. Like, even for people that aren't Christians, we're supposed to be compassionate. I read a story recently of a man named Ralph Neighbor. He was a pastor of Houston's West Memorial Baptist Church. As the pastor of the church, he knew a man named Jack. Jack was the president of a large corporation, very successful, things going well in life. And then at a young age, Jack got diagnosed with cancer. Ralph went to visit Jack, took a deacon with him, and this is after he had, uh, the company had said, oh, you've got cancer, uh, you need to leave. He ran through his insurance, he, he, he ran through all his money, his life savings, paying for treatments and everything he had. And now the pastor is coming to visit with one of his deacons, and he says to him, Jack, you, you speak about the short time you have left on this earth. I wonder if you have considered what's going to happen when you die. Reasonable question. It enraged Jack. Jack stands up and said, All you Christians expletive care about is about what happens after I die. Why doesn't your God take care of the problems I have now? What about my wife, who I'm leaving penniless? What about my daughter, who has no money for college because we had to use it for the cancer? 
What about those problems? You can leave. So the pastor and the deacon left. The deacon comes back to the pastor and says, Pastor, we've, we've got to go back. We've got to go back. He says, okay. But we've got to take care of some things first. He goes back and meets with Jack. He says, Jack, I offended you. I humbly apologize. I want you to know that I've been working since our last conversation. If, if you agree, a realtor in our church has agreed to sell your home and will give his commission to your wife. And I guarantee you that between the time of your passing and until it's sold, some men and I in the church will make your house payments. Then I've, I've contacted the owner of an apartment complex who has said your wife can live there rent-free with an $850 a month salary to take care of some things around there. The income for your house should pay for your daughter's college. And I want you to know your family will be cared for. Jack began sobbing like a baby. Now, unfortunately, Jack never trusted in Jesus as his Savior. But he and his family experienced God's love. And even after his death, his widow came to know Christ. Not because of a Red Sea miracle, but because someone who followed Jesus showed an act of compassion. You can't have compassion without action. And God took action when he made this covenant with Moses. But you and I don't sit underneath this covenant that he's made with Moses. You and I sit underneath the action he took when he sent Jesus for us. See, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior... You think you have to come to God and earn His love, earn His compassion. You need to know that's not true. God said, I, I love you enough. I have enough compassion towards you. I'm going to send Jesus. Jesus came, lived a perfect life for 33 and a half years approximately, died on the cross for your sins, and rose again the third day as an act of compassion. Because without His death, burial, and resurrection, we have no hope for an eternal life with God. A mother's love is something to be admired. But if you want to see a mother's compassion, you'll see it in the way she shows her love to her children. If you want to see your God's compassion, look at what he's done for you. There is a God, and he loves you so much. He sent his own son to die for you. If that's not compassion, I don't know what is. When we fully surrender to that compassion, we'll understand that God's compassion produces action. And as believers in Christ, if we are to be direct followers of Jesus, we have to have compassion for those that are around us. When Matthew 14, the Bible says, Jesus went forth and saw a great multitude and moved with, what's that word? Compassion toward them. And took action. He healed their sick. He took care of them. We can't say that we care about people's souls if we don't ever talk to someone about Jesus. We can't say we're concerned for the homeless if we don't ever offer a meal or money or any type of aid. 
We can't say we love a child if we're not ever showing that in some form. We can't say we have love for our neighbor if we don't even know our neighbor's name. We can't have God's compassion if we don't have action. God took action for us. Can we take action for others? What do you do with your life? What do you do with your life when you understand God's compassion? What do you do when you begin to take action and surrender all that you are to Him? Look what happened to Moses. Verses 28 through 29. And he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked with them. Now, I don't know if you've ever wist not before. But to whist not means to not know. You don't, you, 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 you don't think. You don't know. right? You don't, uh, you don't realize that it's happened yet. Moses' face shone bright. This is often referred to as something called Shekinah glory. It's because Moses had been in the presence of God. And after being with God and understanding who God is and surrendering his life and his people over to the Lord... He comes back down with his face shining with what's known as Shekinah glory. The Israelites couldn't look upon him. They had to put a veil over him. Now after Israel accepted God and they lived for him, they were just like Moses. Something was different. Can you imagine if Moses had sat up there after witnessing the Red Sea the ten plagues, already getting the Ten Commandments once, seeing the burning bush, and then and God describing his compassion towards him. Moses going, that's great. I'm good though. Don't worry about it. I'm out. Why would you do that? Why would you take this God that has shown such love through action to you and just dismiss it completely. Why do we, as Christians, often find ourselves in a place where we have this great God that's shown such compassion towards us that we struggle obeying Him? That we dismiss the opportunity to share Jesus to people for some reason? That we don't want to be involved in the things he's got going on in our community because, well, I've got other things to do. We are in the same situation as Moses. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I'd love to talk to you more about him. But let me talk to those of you that have said, I trust in Jesus. Meaning, I trust that there is a God who loves me enough to send Jesus to die on the cross for my sins and rose again the third day. You've said you believe that. You believe that we love him because he first loved us. You've chosen to accept that Jesus was the lamb slain prior to the foundation of the world. Before you were in your mother's womb to be compassionately loved by her, God already knew Jesus was coming. His compassion was before you ever thought of. That's what you as Christians have chosen to accept. 
But how do we treat that compassion on a daily life? How do we treat God's compassion whenever we're seeking to show His love in our marriage? How do we treat God's compassion when we're trying to exemplify Him and we walk by the homeless on the street? Young people, how do you exemplify God's compassion in your relationship with your parents? Do we do what Moses would have never thought of and say, ah, I'm good? Or we do, do we do what makes sense? I surrender. Great old song, I surrender all. You see, full surrender to God's compassion results in transformation. Moses was different after he'd surrendered to God. The nation of Israel was literally given the thing, the law, if you will, to make themselves different from everyone around them so that everyone would know they belong to Jehovah God. You've been given Jesus so that people can know you are different than everyone around them and you belong to Jehovah God. The compassion from our Heavenly Father, as great as a mother's compassion is, is so much greater. And we as Christians must take action. For until we take action with compassion, we will not see transformation. But what does that look like? Many of you are familiar with a political figure named Dan Crenshaw. Dan Crenshaw was a former Navy SEAL turned congressman down in Texas. My use of Dan Crenshaw in an illustration today does not mean I support Dan Crenshaw politically, just so we're clear. You may have heard of a comedian named Pete Davidson. Oh, some of you have heard him before. Pete Davidson is a young man that was working on Saturday Night Live for their weekend update segment. I think this was a few years ago. But in their weekend update segment, Pete Davidson began to crack a joke about Dan Crenshaw. Now, I'm all about comedy. I'm even about insulting comedy because it's funny. I was in the Marine Corps for too long. I'm, I'm messed up. But what Pete Davidson did was not just crack jokes, he began to crack jokes about the eye that Dan Crenshaw lost while serving as a Navy SEAL in Afghanistan. There's a line, he jumped it. Now the backlash from that was overwhelming. Supporters of Dan Crenshaw and even non-supporters were, and if you've ever been on the internet, people usually don't go, hey, I don't think you should have said that, that wasn't nice. You should apologize. That is not how the internet works. There was so much hate and vitriol and just, just even worse language used towards Pete Davidson. What did that lead Pete to? He, ended, he eventually posted on Instagram to talk about what his life had been like. He was depressed. He was suicidal. So much was coming at him. He posted that the world would be better off without him. Now from that post, each of us could sit back and say, yeah, probably. Or we could do what Dan Crenshaw did. Dan Crenshaw reached out to Pete Davidson. And he told him, hey, God has a purpose for you in this world and it's your job to find it. Don't leave. Now, I'm sure there may have been some other words exchanged, but it sounds as though it wasn't, hey, I can't believe you said that about me. I can't believe this. I can't believe that. No, he responded with compassion. 
on someone that needed it. From there, Pete Davidson found therapy and a number of different things and has bounced back as much as he can, I guess. But would he have come through that terrible situation if the man who professes faith in Christ had not shown compassion to him? Can you imagine what it would be like to call someone that has insulted you in a very personal manner and not tell them to go jump off a bridge? What would it be like to have to reach out to someone who's insulted you, insulted your family? Maybe you haven't lost an eye, but maybe they're talking about your mama. And now you get to call. Hey, I forgive you. I want the best for you. You see, as a Christian, I believe the Bible. And in the Bible, God said, Jesus said that we're supposed to love those who despitefully use us. Why? Because in another part, it's really cool. It's like it's all tied together or something. He said, they will know you as followers of me by your love. Not by how much Bible knowledge you know. Not by how loud you can preach. Not by how amazing you dress, but by your love. Not by the money you make or what you give. Not by your attendance record. By your love. The compassion and love that God has shown us has only one logical end for us. Full, complete surrender to him. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, your first step of surrender is to surrender yourself to say, I can't do it on my own. I can't earn God's love. I can't uh, go to heaven on my own. I can't have this relationship with God. Because why? You're not perfect. And that's the standard. If you want to go to heaven on your own, you have to be perfect. I know most of you. You're not. Neither am I. But there was one that was. His name was Jesus. And God sent his only begotten son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Not because of how great you are, but because of how great he is. And to surrender to him is to say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner, and I trust you as my savior, my only hope for heaven. But if you've done that, if you're a Christian, if you're someone who professes faith in Jesus, what does surrender look like in your life? Some of you may be at the place where surrendering your life is going to look like just giving some time to God throughout your week in Bible study and prayer or maybe worship music or, or, or just thinking upon the Lord. Maybe that's where you're at in your walk. Some of you are at the place where you've read your Bible, you've prayed, you've listened to music, you worship Him, and you need to take some action and live for Him. And show that love that's transformed your heart. Some of you are at the place of where you've done that. And I'm so thankful for you and your example. Can I encourage you to take the next step? And that next step is to start bringing someone along with you. 
Jesus grabbed 12 guys and said, hey, come with me. I will make you fishers of men. What did Jesus show those guys? Did he put them through seminary? Nope. What did he do? He showed them how to love people. Maybe your surrender to the compassion of God is to start loving people, even when they don't love you. But when you surrender and when you take action, you'll see your life transformed just like every person in the Bible did, just like every single believer that's ever lived a life for Christ has done. You are no different. How does the compassion of God lead you to surrender to him? How does the compassion of God lead you to act for him? Thankful for my mom. She put up with a lot. Like a lot. I left home at 18 years old. I went and joined the Marine Corps. I haven't lived in my hometown since. I'm 35 years old. But if my mom called me right now, said, Dustin, your stepdad's passed away, my health has declined, you better believe I'm finding a way to take care of my mom. Because I'm such a great person? No. Because of how much she's loved me in my life. My God has loved me greater than my mother. And the least I can do is the same for him. Would you bow your heads with me, please? At the end of every message, we have what we call a time of response. This is your opportunity to respond to the message. And I don't know how the Holy Spirit spoke to you. Maybe you've not thought of the compassion of God in your life the way it was described today. Maybe you've, you've just kind of been going through Christianity. You've been going through your life with just like, no, I love Jesus. It's great. It's cool. I go to church on Sundays. I listen to K-Love, whatever. But you haven't stopped to think of the compassionate, loving action that God has taken towards you. Not just in Jesus being the most important step he took, but also in the blessings and the life that you have. Many of you could sit and think of how your mother has loved you in such an amazing way. It could bring tears to your eyes. On this day that we celebrate moms, we're not celebrating just because of the title of mother. We're celebrating their love and their compassion that they've shown. As Christians, we should daily celebrate the love and compassion that's been shown to us. If you're here this morning, and you haven't received Jesus as your Savior, if you haven't thought of this Creator God that compassionately loves you, let me tell you, there is one, and He does. And to know Him is great. And if you'd like to know Him, you don't have to know all the Bible, you just have to know that you're not perfect. And that's okay. Because Jesus was. By putting your faith in Him, as your only hope for heaven. You can know God, you can have eternal life, and you can know what it means to live compassionately for the Lord and see your life transformed. If you'd like to trust in Jesus as your Savior this morning, all you have to do is really believe. But if you'd like to 
could firm it with a prayer, you could say something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I believe you died on the cross and rose on the third day to pay for my sins. Dear Jesus, save me. Come into my life transform me from the inside out. It's that simple, ladies and gentlemen. There's no special acts. There's no special words. There's no ceremonies. There's you and your heart. Followers of Jesus this morning, are you living in light of the compassionate love your God has for you? every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to ask this morning, was this a good reminder for you today? Would you just lift your hand up and just say, Pastor, it was a good reminder. I needed that. Hands up. Hands up all over the place. Thank you. Put your hands down. Now, please don't walk away from this and have a lunchtime conversation about did you, can you believe Pastor's message? You can if you want, but more importantly, will you walk away from this saying, asking yourself, asking the Holy Spirit, how can I live my life in light of the compassion that God has shown me. Heavenly Father, Lord, we praise you and thank you for Jesus. Your compassionate love exemplified in Him and demonstrated on the cross. God, I pray for each person here today as we celebrate Mother's Day. I know it can be hard for some. Lord, I pray you be with each aching heart. I pray you be with each celebrating heart. Most importantly, God, I ask you to go with us throughout every day. Holy Spirit, remind us, convict us, and bring us back to the compassionate love that we've been shown. Not so we may appear kind or gracious or loving, but so that we may make Jesus know more. It's in his name we pray. Amen. I want to thank you this morning for your time, your attention. I have a couple things that I need to bring, bring to your attention as well. Uh, I'm very excited about the various different things we do as a church to get involved in our community. We do a number of different things. One of the things we have coming up is a blood drive. We've partnered with Veterans Strong Community Center to host a blood drive downstairs on June 20th from 1 to 6 p.m. Uh, you can sign up, uh, lbcbristol.org. Go there to our announcements. You'll be able to sign up for that with a link. And uh, We are not providing any volunteers or anything of that nature. Uh, this is for you to sign up to give blood uh, and help out with uh, the American Red Cross. I think it's Red Cross that's doing that. And, uh, and go down there and just kind of be a presence. Share this on your social media pages. We'd love a great turnout for this. Uh, it's June 20th from 1 to 5 p.m. I love being a pastor. One, someone asked me the other day, Pastor, what are some of like, the struggles you have? Well, listen, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you life's perfect. It's easy. But one of the greatest things I don't struggle with and I get to do is interact with people. And I don't always have time throughout the week. I'm a husband, father of three, a number of things going on. But I love when I get to sit down across the table from you and just hear about your life, what's going on, how I can pray for you. And what we've done is make every Friday available from 7.30 a.m. until noon for me to sit down and have a coffee with you. We call it Coffee with Pastor Friday. 
You want to sit down? I had, I've had one person, he's like, I just want to get to know you more. Like, hey, praise God. I've had others to share with me deep, deep struggles. I've had others that just need prayer. So I don't know which one you are, but I'd love to talk to you. I'd love to meet with you on a Friday from 7.30 to noon. Say, Pastor, I worked during that time. Okay, so I talked to a friend of mine, and he said this was okay. So tell them your pastor's friend said you can do this. You know how you might tell your, your, your boss, like, hey, I've got a doctor's appointment, I need some time? You can have a religious appointment with your pastor. Now, I don't wear a white collar, and I don't like to talk about the religious side of things, if you will, because I'd rather have a relationship with you, but I can have, I have a religious appointment with my pastor. I need to give about 45 minutes to And come on, I'll even buy your coffee, okay? But if you'd like to schedule a time like that, I'd love to have it with you. Friday, coffee with pastors. You can reach out, info at lbcbrosta.org, and you'll get you set up, and we will get together during those days. Lastly, I want to reiterate our junior church. Man, I love having kids around here. Uh, we talked about the love of a mother, but the look of a father. And I love this guy. One of the most big teddy bears I've ever seen. But when his son was uh, a little hyper this morning, I saw the look of a father. <laughs> and we've all been there, man. We just, it's nothing. Uh, you know, we've got kids that have destroyed things around here, but I'd rather have kids destroying things than not have kids around here, all right? One of the ways we keep kids around here is we provide them a loving, caring environment to be a part of. That's what our junior church is. It's a loving, caring environment. Not so they can learn more about the Bible. Yes, we're going to teach them a Bible lesson, but I'm going to tell you, I've told, and if I have it, I'm telling you now, every teacher, every person that sits in front of children, stands in front of children, and talks with them, I know, I've taught children, there's some days... You homeschool moms know what I'm talking about. Like, it just ain't happening. One of us is going to die. Um, I get it. Our teachers, our, our uh, LBC kids workers, no. If that's one of those days, instead of you becoming a disciplinarian, just be their friend. Play. Have fun. Develop a relationship. I want them to develop a relationship with them so that they can know what a relationship with Christ is like. Because I don't know about you, on days when I've just, like, I'm sure Jesus is looking down going, I'm done. I'm done. He sticks around and he loves me. So as much as I'm asking you to maybe teach a lesson or something in junior church for our kids, I'm really asking you, hey, would you invest some of your life into the next generation of young believers in our church? So you could sign up for junior church by filling out that next step card, kindergarten through first, and uh, no, three years old through kindergarten and first through third grade, whichever one you'd like. I know me. I don't teach either one, so I pray for them. But if you're a person that just feels called and could be a part of that loving ministry, I'd love to have you a part of it. All right, let's stand. We'll sing our closing chorus. Uh, don't forget to say happy Mother's Day to everyone. Thank you. I heard that. You can stay standing. It's okay. Natalie, can you come up here real quick? Something we've been meaning to do months. Um, Tim and Natalie have been a part of our church for uh, quite a while now, and I've heard both their testimony of salvation and baptism. Tim has obviously been heavily involved. Him and Natalie are both working down in our LBC Kids program, developing relationships and stuff with them. We forgot this whole technicality thing. They never joined the church. Church membership to me is more one of those things of someone saying, I'm committed. Well, these people are definitely committed, and pastor put them in positions where this was supposed to have already happened, so my fault, not theirs. But if you were to accept them at our church fellowship, would you just say amen? amen. Thank you so much. Now you can have a seat. Give them a round of applause, please.
Call your mom. Thank you for joining us. Please like our podcast and leave us a five-star review. God bless and have an amazing week.